and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. Happy Thursday. We're so excited to share this week's headlines with you. Anna and I have been busy all week planning like gallery and museum visits for what feels like months and months away. Yes, I'm going to be out of New York for two weeks. So I'm trying to see as much as possible before I leave. And also, I feel like there is so much going on right now. And I feel like so many shows that were canceled because of the pandemic are like opening now or I don't know. There's just a lot. No, I agree. I felt like things were opening up slowly. So it was so feasible to see yeah. them like one a week and stay on top of mm-hmm. it. And now everything's basically Now it's open. like 25 things to see New York this weekend. And I'm like, I literally don't have time. We do not have time um, for that. But we are going to two museums this week, which we're super excited about and really just can't wait to share our thoughts. Yes. But we can dive into our update for the week. Before we get to our headlines, our first update this week comes to us from the art newspaper, which reported that, quote, after a $20 million renovation, Dia is poised to reemerge as a force in Chelsea. So as we previously mentioned, Dia Chelsea has been undergoing renovations for the past two years, but they are now complete and Dia will be reopening to the public tomorrow, April 16th. So exciting. Um, this space also has a renovated purpose to champion under-recognized artists and to serve as a, like an information hub for all of 11 of Dia's long-term art sites. So this is becoming basically their headquarters. Yes. And it's located on West 22nd Street, so very close to us. It's on our front street. Yes, that's <laughs> true. And this space includes 20,000 square feet of exhibition space, and they have plans to keep all the works on display up for at least nine months. So everyone has plenty of time to go see the works and even multiple times if they so choose. Yes. And a really cool thing about right now is that if you visit, admission is free. But capacity is only at 25%. So definitely book tickets in advance. And a little self-plug, if you haven't already, be sure to go back and listen to about our visit to Dia Beacon and Storm King. Yes, we loved it. Although I didn't know this. I don't know if you know, but Robert Smithson's Spiral Jetty is owned by Dia. I did not know Isn't that. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I only found that out last week and I was like, this is so interesting. That's actually insane. I know. Yeah. Anyways, we can move on. Wow. <laughs> little fun fact. Anna's educating us all. (laughs) Another quick update, which Anna might hate, comes to us from the Rob Report, which revealed that, quote, digital artist packs NFT art achieves nearly $10 million in 15 minutes at a Sotheby's sale. So I know we said we were going to stop talking about NFTs every week, but (laughs) we did talk about them in regards to auctions. So I thought we would just make this a quick update. Mm -hmm. The sale runs from... April 12th through the 14th and consisted of a selection of one-on-one digital NFT artworks that can be purchased exclusively on Nifty Gateway. Um, I have something to say before we continue on Share. with this story. I like do hate NFTs, right? But I almost did pick a story for us this week about NFTs because I read that Urs Fisher like got into a fight with like Gagosian who represents him over like an NFT, which I thought was very interesting. So like, I'm happy to report on NFTs if like the story is relevant. It was just like too much. And like, I think it's going to get more interesting now that artists like this are like actually getting into NFTs. But I don't care about 
what's his name people like who is that and why are we talking about this no I agree I think hopefully this like boom has ended and then it will infiltrate the art world in like a more organic way and it will just be like interesting to talk about Mm -hmm. but on the first day of the sale 19,000 open editions of single cube were purchased in the 15 minute window the drop was open and the pieces could be purchased in sets from five cubes all the way up to a thousand prices started at $500 for a single cube. And in total, it sold for $9.94 million, And it also set a new single day record for open edition sold on leading NFT platform Nifty Gateway. And for some background, Pac, whose real identity is a closely guarded secret, has become one of the foremost digital creators and was the first NFT artist to earn $1 million with his work. And not all of the results have been made public yet, but it definitely is a story to watch and see how it does at an auction house. We will keep an eye out. I think we're ready. Our first headline of the week comes to us from Art News, which reported that, quote, for the Met Museum's 151st birthday, Google showcases works from the institution's collection. So this past Tuesday marked the 151st anniversary of the founding of the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York. And Google celebrated with a special doodle on its homepage. The doodle was created by Google and artist Eric Nagler, and it featured a selection of objects from the Met's collection and was viewable in over 20 countries. Yes, and a little shout out to our friend Alex, who was the first person to send us this story yesterday, first thing in the morning. We read about it throughout the day, but he was very on top of things. And according to a representative for the Met, the museum and Google had originally planned for the doodle to appear last year which actually marked the Met's 150th birthday. But to no one's surprise, they had to postpone everything because of the pandemic and like the museum was shut down at the time and there were too many other things and like the world was uncertain for them to really celebrate. So 151st it is. That makes me feel better because I thought like 150th is a really big deal and that's like something you celebrate. 151st seemed a little odd. I know, it's really sad. But it makes sense. But it's still cool. (laughs) The doodle featured 18 works that span various time periods and geographic locations and lines connect the pieces to their respective galleries spread out across the museum. Yes, and among the ancient pieces were a sculptor of a dancer from China in the second century before Common Era, an Egyptian sarcophagus, and a terracotta neck amphora that was also from before Common Era. And other featured works included the tapestry, the unicorn dress in a garden from 1495, a painting by French artist Elizabeth Louise Vigée Lebrun, a beaded Lakuta Tidan Sioux dress from 1870, and Vincent van Gogh's self-portrait with a straw hat. And all the pieces in the Google Doodle were drawn from the Met's open access program through which over 400,000 images of objects in its collection are available to the public. And I think my favorite part about this story was that each painting was connected to its gallery through that line and just like how it moved across the galleries. I completely agree. It made it so much more interactive. And I think if they had just put up an image of the work from the Met, a lot of people would have disregarded it and just thought it was random. So it really like solidified the fact that these not only came from the Met, but Mm -hmm. that it was like celebrating a monumental occasion for the museum. Yeah. And I actually downloaded the image to my phone and I thought it would just like download like without moving. Like 
as like a just regular photo in the part where I had paused it, but it downloaded and it kept like playing and like it wasn't a video. video. Yeah, but it wasn't a video. Like it was the weirdest thing. I don't know what happened. Technology is amazing. No, it was insane. Uh, but it was very cool and I'm so happy they did that and I hope they do it for like more museums around the world. I'm like curious. Like I wish I they'd done it last year for the opening of the Egyptian National Museum that we talked about, like with the mummies and stuff. That like it would have been, been so, so cool. cool. Like given more, more exposure to museums that are not in the US. And it was available in over 20 countries so it's like people can see it who wouldn't otherwise be able to see the objects which is so cool always the second headline of the day is brought to us by artnet where it was reported that quote saudi arabia refused to lend the salvador mundi to the louvre because they wouldn't show it next to the mona lisa a report says a new documentary film the savior for the sale which premiered this past tuesday on french television claims that, according to anonymous French officials, the Louvre refused to meet Saudi Arabian demands that the work be displayed as an autograph Leonardo after scientific testing determined that the artist merely contributed to the painting. So the painting, Salvatore Mundi, is highly controversial. Christie's actually sold it to the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia in 2017, and the work became the most expensive painting sold at auction today. The prince paid $450 million for it. And later on, reports came out saying that it was actually fake. And to this day, we are still not sure if the painting is actually a Da Vinci or not. But many experts believe it is not. They're conflicting opinions. Yes. But according to a Louvre report attained by the New York Times, the museum didn't doubt the work's authenticity. The real issue is that Saudi officials demanded it be shown next to the Mona Lisa, which curators refused to allow. And according to museum officials, a reason why Mona Lisa was to remain in its usual room, apart from the rest of the Leonardo exhibition, um, was so that everyone could accommodate for all of the people that usually visit. Like if it had been moved to a new gallery, not everyone could have seen it because Mm -hmm. like the crowds are so, so crazy. And the way the Mona Lisa is set up at the museum is so specific. Yes, it's like the only work. Right. Yeah, on that wall. Uh, But another reason was also that adding another major work to the gallery where the Salvatore Mundi was going to be displayed would have presented too big of a security challenge, like putting both works together. Yeah. It would have been kind of like interesting to see if like how security measures would have been put in place, but now it's not happening. It's also an interesting idea to like directly compare the two, but I completely understand. I think, okay, personally, I think it's fake and that's why they won't display them together because they're very similar paintings in the sense that they, it's just like a portrait of a person and you think it's it going to prove that it's fake it would have shown too much maybe i don't know <laughs> the newly leaked report would have confirmed that the painting was in fact by da vinci and this report originated from the planned book for the exhibition which obviously was recalled when the exhibition was canceled yeah so when tensions between the saudi crown and the louvre started the saudis ultimately decided to not let the Louvre have the painting for the exhibition and then the Louvre withheld its evaluation which caused a storm of doubt about the work because now it won't be published mystery breeds controversy it's like no one knows yes and actually the Louvre spent a lot of money I'm sure they didn't actually pay for it and the Saudi crown paid for it but they did a lot of like x-ray testing in like 2018 after all of the rumors started like swirling around saying the painting was fake so I think that that's why they were going to say in the book that it was real. But like now they're not saying anything. So 
and a planned appearance at the Louvre Abu Dhabi was also canceled, and the painting, not seen publicly since its sale, has been rumored to be aboard the prince's yacht. Which that is seems crazy. like a conservation nightmare. Yeah, but also, doesn't that just like add on to the fact that it might be fake? Because it's on a yacht? Yeah, like people are saying it was like money laundering, and that's why they could pay so much money for it, and it doesn't matter if it gets destroyed because it's not even real. It like they're not in it for the painting exactly that makes but sense. circling back to the movie the director does stand by his version of events suggesting that the book west produces a contingency plan in case a government agreed to bow to saudi demands and the painting had to be shown as authentic so like the book was only to like if saudi, it was like if a the, backup plan it was like if the saudi crown like somehow forced the french government to like actually displayed where both works together the book would have proved it was real even if it's not so that I do believe yeah. because they do have to be prepared yes. for any situation, I guess. I like want to know more. This is one of those stories. I, we need to watch the documentary once to. it's available to us. Hopefully soon. But we also have to watch the um, Isabella Stewart Gardner, which was That's, number three on Netflix this yes, week. That is next on our list. Yes. And we will definitely talk about it Yes, as soon as we see it. The third headline comes to us from the New York Times, which reported that, quote, Frank Geary, 92, is too busy to retire. So despite having just turned 92 in a pandemic, the artist completed the top floor of his building in the Grand Avenue development and prepared for a show of new sculpture at Gagosian. He has little interest in sitting back to reflect on this potentially meaningful moment in his life and career. So instead of taking some time off, he has given his first studio tour since the pandemic began and has been eager to discuss the many designs he has underway, most of which have been proceeding. The only one that has sold is actually in Hudson Yards. Some of his current projects include LA's version of New York's High Line along the Los Angeles River, which is kind of gross. So I don't know why <laughs> that's happening. But there's also... I, wait, yeah. sorry. I feel like there's so many cities trying to replicate the replicate the High Line. Like Miami's also doing it. I remember oh, someone really? was... Yeah, someone um, did a project on that in one of my classes in college. And I was like, this is That's so weird crazy. because it goes under the Miami Metro. No and the Miami Metro is like not even a real thing. So it's like in the Miami Metro is also like outdoor. I don't know. It's a is very weird thing. Is it the one thing. we could see from our hotel? Yes. That's crazy. It's really weird. And like the highlight. Also, who walks in Miami? No one in Miami no walks. One. It's disgusting in yes. Miami. It's so it's humid. Like so humid Who's and going so going outside. Yes. <laughs> so i don't know but, but yeah I, I think the highland is so special i don't understand why everyone wants to copy it i think we both love the highline we, we love the highline new york like yes. i remember when it opened and it was mm -hmm. such a big deal when i was visiting and we honestly do walk on it a lot because we, we live do. in chelsea so it's so it easy. takes us home really like if we're in meatpacking it really takes us home like, like to our street perfectly <laughs> yes but um i don't really i mean people like to hike in la yeah. So maybe people will be into we'll that. We'll Sorry see. I interrupted the sentence, but... um, It's okay. <laughs> and some other projects that he's currently working on are a new office building for Warner Brothers in Burbank, a scenic design he's doing for the jazz opera Iphigenia, which is heading to the Kennedy Center in December. Yeah, and he does not plan to take any time off because he doesn't know what he would do with his extra time and says he would get bored, which is something I relate to a no level. Yes, but I also think you do like to be really busy. That's true. I love being busy, but I can always come up with activities for myself. That's true. We're very good <laughs> at entertaining ourselves. Yeah. He also said that he has now reached a point in his career 
where he has the luxury of focusing on what matters to him most, which are projects that promote social justice. For example, he's designing housing on Wilshire Boulevard for homeless veterans, which is incredible. I really like that all of his like social justice projects are like focused in like LA, like most of them are happening like in the city and another one of his projects is designing a new home for the LA Philharmonic's youth focused educational arm which is abbreviated YOLA and it is going to be in the Inglewood Civic Center it looks sounds like YOLO YOLA YOLO yes But he's definitely an overachiever and a workaholic, which we respect. Yes. During the interview, he said, quote, I'm proud of what I'm done, but I can look at projects and see all the things I should have done differently. So a little bit of a perfectionist yes. as well, it seems. He like talks a lot about his work um, in this interview. So if you have time, you should go read it. But he said something super interesting about the um, LB Foundation in Paris he was just like I think we did a really nice job but then he goes on to say like oh I'm always thinking about the things I could fix so it's like if he thinks he did a really nice job like what would he fix about it I mean I love it I, I think it's beautiful but also another thing that the interview talks about that I thought was so cute is that he has a five-year-old granddaughter and he like designed like a Mad Hatter sculpture that's like themed for her because she loves Alice in Wonderland and it's going to be exhibited at Gagosian in the Beverly Hills location as part of the upcoming show yes that's which so is so cute, cute. um mm-hmm. I think that's it for me for this story <laughs> yes I think we're ready to move on headline number four comes to us from the art newspaper which reported that quote UCLA's Fowler Museum to reach out to Nigeria about returning its Benin bronzes. So UCLA's Fowler Museum is planning talks with the Legacy Restoration Trust in Nigeria on the future of 18 objects in its collection from the former kingdom of Benin. According to the museum's director, the discussions could lead to restituting the works, which were looted by British military forces in a raid on the royal palace in 1897. So some background about the museum, the Fowler Museum at UCLA explores global arts and cultures with an emphasis in Africa, Asia, and the Pacific, and also Indigenous Americas, past and present. This is following a story that we previously discussed on the podcast about the German government really leading the charge to restitute the country's benign bronzes. Yeah, Yeah, so I found it so interesting because when we talked about the German headline, we discussed the need for other European countries who were more heavily involved in the colonization of Africa to also step up. But I guess, like, we weren't expecting UCLA to do this. No, I really saw maybe France coming yes, up. Yes. Or you just another major country. Not mm-hmm. the Fowler Museum is very small. Yeah, it's, because it's a like a it's on UCLA's campus museum. too. Yeah. So it's not like I mean people go, but mm-hmm. it's not like going to the Met. No, no, exactly. A large part of the Fowler Museum's holdings of African art were donated in 1965 by the Wellcome Trust in London, which distributed the vast collections of the pharmaceutical industrialist Sir Henry Wellcome after his death. Currently, three objects are on display as a part of a long-term exhibition. So it's like what I said, the museum is small. Right. And according to the art newspaper, the Baltimore Museum of Art and the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston have also reached out in regards to their collections, but the Metropolitan Museum of Art has declined to comment, which doesn't shock me. And this story is just so interesting because, like we've previously said with all restitution cases, there really is no short-term 
solution. No. And a, this point was brought up by the Fowler Museum mm-hmm. that they acknowledged in these discussions. And the quote was that the discussions may lead to various resolutions, including either their return or a long-term loan that would permit us as a university museum to share them in teaching the history of the kingdom of Benin. Yeah. And the issue of teaching is obviously so crucial with a greater restitution argument. And we will definitely be following along. I feel like this year, more than any other years, we've seen so many restitution news and like Mm -hmm. all of the art news outlets so it's for sure something that's on people's minds and that is happening and should be happening yeah and I thought it was so interesting that they brought up this teaching element because one of the biggest arguments for leaving the works where they are is often so that as many people as possible can see them yeah which is complicated but it's interesting because the museum is a UCLA museum right I don't really know how a lot of the objects in the Met's collection came to be part of the Met, spe- like especially in their African and like mm-hmm. Pacific wings. But um, when we took the Africa African history class at Columbia, like we had to go to the Met to see these pieces mm-hmm. in person. And like, I don't think I would have seen them anywhere else in the world if not. I mean, I have not been to Africa and like, especially because they have things from all parts of Africa, which right. I don't think I'll make it to every country in Africa like in my lifetime and I actually really loved learning about them so I think there is a conversation to be had like yes it is important for them to be restituted to their Mm -hmm. original like homes but at the same time like it is important for people around the world to be able to see this kind of art right so hopefully a resolution will come that enables everyone to be able to see them yeah I agree and I just think a transparency compromise. is the most important mm-hmm. thing. Like you have to accept where these pieces came from and like exactly. what their history is. Yeah. Our fifth and final headline of the week is from Artnet, where it was announced that, quote, Glenn Kino, Mercedes Duram, and other artists are making augmented reality monuments you can see on Snapchat. So this is a very LA heavy episode. Yes. Maybe it means I should go home like you. <laughs> Through a collaboration between LACMA and Snapchat, monuments honoring local street vendors, indigenous peoples, and an enslaved woman who became a wealthy landowner all just popped up in Los Angeles, but as virtual monuments. The project titled Monumental Perspectives will be a multi-year collaboration and only the first five works commissioned by the museum were released on Tuesday the 13th. In addition to the... So many things happened this past Tuesday. Sorry, I interrupted. But like the movie and like the Met thing and now this. No, that's so true. It was a big day. It was also my mom's birthday. Oh, that's cute. Very cute. In addition to the funding from Snap Inc., which is Snapchat's like larger company, Mm -hmm. Monumental Perspective is supported by the Monuments Project, which is the Mellon Foundation's five-year $250 million initiative to rethink historical monuments in the U.S. The goal of the project is to expand the conversation around both the function of modern-day monuments as well as the form, and it is an effort to expand the way people think about art in both physical and virtual spaces. And people who are currently in LA can locate the monuments through markers on Snapchat's map feature, but everyone else is able to experience the works on the project's website. And I think this is such a great idea Mm -hmm. because 
you can't see a photo of it since it is this like virtual, virtual. monument. Yeah, so really it enables cool. everyone to get to see the work. Yeah. And Durham's piece takes the form of a spinning blue portal located in LACMA's main campus. It is meant to suggest spiritual connections across time and space in an effort to remind people that LA is the land of the Tongva peoples. An installation by artist Ruben Ochoa consists of colorful fruits, vegetables, and other street foods which bounce around MacArthur Park, a nod to the overlooked role street vendors play in the local culture and economy. That's very cool. The project makes use of other historic LA landmarks, such as the entrance of the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, Magic Johnson Park, and stops along the 1932 Olympic Marathon route. I just love this story so much. I hope it comes to New York after. Like, I see it being very feasible to happen in different cities. Yeah, and um, it's like the Google Arts and Culture features from the MoCA exhibition, but also even like the Matt Doodle that like shows the galleries. Yes, it is. So much technology happening. And Google Arts and Culture also has a feature where you can take a work of art and like put it on your own wall. Mm, I forget what like the name for it Mm -hmm. is called, but I feel like that's so similar to this story when the okay i don't remember which auction house but this past fall one of the auction houses it was a very important work that was coming up for auction they did a thing the botticelli yes at it was Sotheby's. the botticelli yeah the botticelli at Sotheby's. they had a snapchat or not snapchat an you, instagram filter yes. and you could see how it would look on your wall it was very cool it was very cool yes um but i think that's it for today we only have our emerging story yes before we go we have our emerging story Design Boom reported that, quote, newest Jesus statue in southern Brazil will be taller than Rio de Janeiro's iconic Christ the Redeemer. A huge statue of Jesus Christ is under construction in the small town of Encantado in southern Brazil, and it will be even taller than its iconic counterpart in Rio de Janeiro. So A. Cristo says that when complete, Christ the Protector will rank as the third tallest Jesus statue in the world right after a 75-meter statue currently under construction in Mexico, which I had no idea about. I, like, don't even know what part of Mexico it's being built. That's crazy. And then a 52-meter statue in Poland. So it's crazy that the old one, the Christ, the Redeemer, won't even be top three anymore. It's getting booted. Yes. (laughs) The head and arms of the new sculpture were installed on April 6th, and the construction, which began in July of 2019, is expected to finish at the end of this year. So it's so crazy how long it's taking. Yes, but the most shocking part for me for this story is that the statue was over $300,000 to build, and it was financed purely with donations. Like, who is donating to build this? I mean, I don't know. Isn't that insane? That's wild to think about. Yes. I wonder how many people donated. Like no, if it was too. a lot of really small or like amounts. Because in donation. a way I see like so many people giving $10 much more feasible, but maybe not. No, I agree. With like a few I actually ones. agree with you, but like I'm just shocked people are donating. Because yeah. it, Brazil already has one. They don't need another one. Like why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> And I think that's it for the day. I think that's it. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Curated Chatter if you have not already. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.